Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-hosts, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the T- at TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts, with a pay-per-view main card featuring two title fights, Aljamain Sterling versus Sean O'Malley and Wei Zhang versus Amanda Lemos. We're talking about the prelim card right now, though, with a... Absolutely terribly sad featured prelim between Chris Weidman and Brad Tavares. Yeah. It's um it's it's sad because of you know what's happened to Chris Weidman and also yeah. what has happened to Brad Tavares. These are yeah. two shot fighters. Yeah. Because it's two shot fighters, it's definitely the fight I'd like to see compared to so many other matches oh, they yeah. could have made for these guys. Yeah. Unquestionably this is the way I want to see fighters like this booked. Yeah. It is It is especially sad, though, to consider for Brad Tavares, who I think you're right is just shot at this point because he never actually got there, you know? I mean, it's good yeah. for him on the one hand. He has had pretty much an entire career fighting at the UFC level. Yeah, he's had a great career. Beat a lot yeah. of good fighters. Been a tough out for a lot of others. Yeah, he has made as much money as Brad Tavares was ever going to make out of MMA by fighting at the biggest stage the whole time. You know, yeah. I don't think that there was a star turn awaiting Brad Tavares in the PFL. If I'm being no. honest, no, nor was there one awaiting him in the UFC. No, it's just not that kind of fighter. I mean, really he has, yeah, he has been in the UFC. He was on the ultimate fighter, which I totally yeah. forgot about. So he yeah. has been under the Zufa banner since 2010. Yeah. He had only five fights before getting to tough. And then the rest of his career was in the UFC. Yeah. He's 19 and eight. He's had like 23, 22 fights or something with the UFC. Uh-huh. It's a lot. It is. And, uh, Chris Weidman on he's also had his whole career with the UFC. He had sure. He came into the UFC with short little four, ring of combat four career. Fights in the ring of combat as one of the most obvious this is going to be a future top contender prospects of all time. Yep. And uh yeah, it, you know, God, it all it all happened for him in like the first couple years, and then it has never happened again since. Yeah, seriously, Weidman has one of the most remarkable like run from prospect to champion, uh, like Cody Garbrandt, I suppose. Yeah. and a similarly precipitous decline. Yeah. Just... Um, unlike Cody, he at least got to defend the belt. Yeah, he's yeah. looking pretty good there for a minute. He had he beat <laughs> Anderson Silva twice. Beat then he Yoda beat Machida. Yoda Machida in a classic. Great fight. 
Then he pantsed Vitor Belfort in an entirely unnecessary title fight for Vitor Belfort. Yep. And then it all went wrong. Yep. He had a, a fight, one of those fights with Luke Rockhold, where both guys are amazingly good, and yet they make each other look like shit. Yeah. Just a horrible mess. Luke does so, that to a lot of people. You, you, you kind of realize after a while. It's true. It's sort of a, a uh, Korean zombie Yair Rodriguez kind of fight where mm-hmm. it's hard to even say that it's good because it, stuff is constantly happening and it's certainly violent, but it's like, oh, yeah, this is just a mess. What am I looking at? Yeah. Um, this isn't art. <laughs> you know, it's just like it feels exploitative. Um, and it then, really- yeah, the, the wheels just fell off. I mean, Chris Weidman yeah. stopped being as durable. He was very durable early in his career. Yeah. He started getting hurt. His whole body durability seemed to decline because he started getting a bunch of injuries. I think yeah. there were hand injuries, knee injuries. Um, and this leads to him, yeah, getting stopped by people. His already suspect gas tank gets worse. This is, I, I would say, and this is the interesting thing, is that Weidman might actually be the victim of what we would like to think of as good coaching. Uh Uh-huh. In that, like, things started going wrong for Chris Weidman, but he never tried to become capital T technical. There was never a moment where Weidman was like, oh, my, the answer is don't be aggressive. Don't go after people. Um, I, I would disagree with that a bit because I, yeah. I think he did after the decline began. I don't know that he I don't think he did. I he, think he uh, he had that fight with, I think, maybe the Musasi one, the Gastelum one, the Jacare one. These were fights where he was trying to be more of like a patient he was with a like a, a boxing coach at the time was really mm. working on his boxing technique and yeah. much, much like Trevor Whitman, uh, because, you know, like boxers are expected to be more well-rounded, even very specialized boxers will yeah. have a few fights in their careers where you're like, Oh shit, I didn't know Gene Fulmer could box off the back foot, but here he is doing it. I didn't know Marcos Maidana had a jab, but he's beaten this dude with his jab. Um, MMA fighters, their breadth is more in variety of phases typically. And they have like one psychological sort of niche that they fall into as a fighter. And it is often the case that pressure and pace are so important in modern MMA that when they, they get with a good boxing coach, they get genuinely better at boxing as Weidman did. He like developed head movement. He became a more efficient combination puncher, put, didn't put so much heat on his shots and looked a lot smoother but it allowed people to start grabbing the initiative away from him and pressuring him. And he hated that. Yeah. Um, and would collapse. There was definitely a phase there where he was trying to be boxer man. And it was, he was trying to be boxer man. I I just don't know that he was ever really that much less aggressive. He wasn't maybe as, you know, uh, aggressive a wrestler or i mean i don't even know like I, no I, I yeah I, his wrestling was still solid it was yeah i, I think feel- again it was i think it was more a physical decline than anything yeah because, i think and and i gave him a pass because he was trying to make these adjustments like after the wheels yeah. were, had fallen off like he was trying to figure yeah. out what was going wrong 
I, um, I honestly think also, too, that he may have been one of the really honestly great victims of the MMA metagame shift that, you know, he kind of he came up with the very old school wins. The Anderson Silva, Mark Munoz, Machida, Belfour, Munoz, Maya. Yeah. Just a real list of like classic styled MMA fighters where he could have a pretty active striking game and be a very competitive fighter with those, those guys, you know? And as the striking output at at elite level started to pick up, yeah, it really just exposed how, uncomfortable defensively he was and there was just no way to get that back yeah it leaves him unfortunately as a sort of like transitional period yeah star right where which yeah i I think maybe like another one of these guys is like mike brown Mm -hmm. mike brown was a very good fighter and he had a very short time at the top and then people just figured him out and he started losing yeah and it just there's because yeah you don't you don't usually it doesn't usually happen that way yeah you know like at least Cody Garbrandt has like his his uh, his brain problems to to lean on. <laughs> He'll always have his brain problems. <laughs> Where you like <laughs> you're like sure you should have been great, but you're just too dumb. <laughs> you got that brain thing, so I get it. <laughs> got that brain thing. <laughs> But I, I mean, okay, I know that's not a nice thing to say. But <laughs> no, you're not wrong. I'm yeah. laughing because it's true. Uh, <laughs> like I was watching him fight that Pedro Munoz fight, and I'm just like, <laughs> it really isn't like it for so many years of Garbrandt's decline. The problem was not his chin in any way, shape, or form. Oh. He took like ten clean yeah. bombs from Pedro Munoz, yeah, over and over again. It's the fact that you keep demanding that these people hit you squarely on the chin yeah. that is getting you knocked out. You're not fragile. You're stupid. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, 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 I think I don't think I have a a, a good enough chin for the sport of headbutting a concrete wall. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the chin's a problem. No. Pick a different game, pal. Yeah, really, honestly. And so, you know, but yeah, otherwise, or, you know, for for Cain uh, Velasquez, it was his knees that went. Yeah. I think that's more, I, I do think you're right. The Weidman thing is a bit of a transition. Velasquez is still a standout. The game did not pass him by. He still achieved yeah. a level of heavyweight game that I think would do very well. Yeah. Um, he still stands out. But for both him and Weidman, I do think there is an element of physical decline. There, there is definitely physical decline, too. But even like we've seen other fighters decline physically where it didn't look like this. Yeah. It's like you just everything stops clicking at the same point that people yeah. start like knocking you out and parts of your body start flying off. Like even BJ Penn had a slower slide. Yeah. Than Chris Weidman. Yeah, true. The the fact that and just the we commented on this at the time. I 
it, it is worth recontextualizing the fact that Chris Weidman won the title uh, or retained it by shattering Anderson Silva's leg. Yeah. And then the an uncommon injury, you know, more common yeah. in MMA than it is in like kickboxing sports, but an uncommon injury and the exact same thing happened to him in his last fight against one of several next Anderson Silva's no less in Uriah yeah. Hall. Yeah. Uh, a guy who he had comfortably beaten during his short run with ring of combat many, many years before a horrific irony. And yeah, it is. It, this is the tragic tale of Chris Weidman who, who like it's, it would just be too easy to forget for people who weren't watching at that brief moment of him at the top and on that precipitous rise um, that uh, he was a really, really good fighter. <laughs> he yeah. was really good. It's just like Mike Brown was really good. Yep. Um, you can go back and watch a guy like Mike Brown and you're like, damn, if only Jose Aldo hadn't arrived. Because yeah. Mike Brown was a beast. He was a really well-rounded, powerful, solid fighter. And he just, the, it, the stars did not align for him. And actually, I should say, I said even quicker than BJ Penn. BJ Penn actually is another fighter who had pretty much the exact same kind of that's just true slide off of a cliff. And I would also argue more than anything for Penn, it was the metagame passing him by. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Weidman, there's the injury argument to make, but for Penn, it really was a... Yeah. Like, you were really... Your style was perfect when guys yeah. didn't throw a lot. And the moment they started to throw a lot, you there was no way for you to adjust at all yep started with frankie edgar and just got worse yep <clears throat> yeah absolutely anyway it, i mean how yeah. to call a fight like this because we haven't talked as much about Tavares, but Tavares is also i think shot yeah um, and Tavares uh, Tavares is in some ways more prone to being shot because like um hakeem dawadu fought last week he is a fighter who habitually lets his opponents into the yeah. fight. Yeah, he always he was always been a guy who like he's actually probably the perfect port, honestly, for Hakeem Dawadu. Just where you're like you're looking at the fundamentals, you're looking at the tools. You're like, yeah, everything's here. Like that was very good, super well rounded. Yeah, there was a point in his career where he was basically impossible to take down. I was just gonna say that. Yeah, yeah, bulletproof defensive wrestling quick clean striking has yeah. a jab has the low kicks has a left hook you know but, but never could build towards anything right ever yeah both technically because brad tavares just does not have the instinct for combination striking built into yeah. his game and psychologically it's tough to say whether it's the chicken or the egg yeah but uh and psychologically tavares just has one of the clearest cases of sparring partner syndrome i've ever seen Yep. Where he just does not have the instinct to seize an advantage and ram it home. Yep. Um, and this now has, I think he's both more gun shy or more panicky when he can't be gun shy. Well, and he's also, I think he's at a point too where he's lost enough of a step where you, you know, you're letting a new generation of fighters catch up to you in the cage and you're not nearly as insulated by your physical tools as you used to be 
So yeah, when you let them hang around and catch up to you, the result is just going to be worse. It's going to be yeah, you know, it's not going to be uh, you know, Aaron Simpson winning a decision off of you. It's going to be Bruno Silva or Edmund Shabazian just going out there and yeah, knocking absolutely silly. Or Drakus. We can't forget Drakus. Yeah. A fight that, like, because Drakus is such a mess and just throws that mess in your face, he, like, tricked Brad Tavares into almost knocking him out. Yeah. Oops. And then Brad Tavares, this is, the, this to me, this, like, defines Brad Tavares. You can see it in the fight. He just nails Drakus who just continues throwing nonsense at him. Um, and like Drikas wears himself out. He gets hurt, I think, more than once early in that fight. Mm-hmm. And Brad Tavares' reaction to this monumental success against a guy who is permanently ripe for that kind of success to continue because uh, he can't help but be anything but open. Brad Tavares' reaction is not a flush of excitement. It is not... Oh, I've got him. It's a sigh of relief. Yeah, I can I can take my foot off the gas for a minute because I banked yeah. that round or something. And fighters who just don't care about that <laughs> they just keep coming, like Drikas. And then Bruno Silva is just a much worse version of Drikas, and he actually got there quicker. Yeah, um, on Brad. So, yeah, I just think he has a style that honestly did was well suited to keeping him around and keeping him. Uh, in a position to hang with the elite for quite a while because he's pretty safe and he's able to compete with everybody. Yep. Once it passes that threshold, it just doesn't seem to work at all. Yeah. Because he is not putting his stamp on the fight um, in the way that he needs to or taking advantage of it when he sort of accidentally does. Um, and also, you know, he's easier to take down than he used to be. He's slower. He's lower output except in these like panicky bursts of offense like yep. against Strikas. Um I don't know. I mean, how do you pick a fight like this? I'm just going to pick Brad Tavares cuz I do not uh is like uh, living a a waking nightmare it seems. Yeah. 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 I'm going to pick Weidman out of pure optimism. Yep. I mean, the, the, there's no question that the best version of Chris Weidman beats the best version of oh, Brad yeah. Tavares every yeah. single and time. I, don't get me wrong. Fight. I'm not imagining that we're going to see anything like the best version of Chris Weidman. No. <laughs> so that is not why I'm picking him. No, no, no. But it is one of those things where it's like, oh, you let somebody, you're the kind of fighter in Brad Tavares who lets everyone hang around. Chris Weidman could find something far better than you have ever no rock to the cage. The best you know, Chris Weidman just, would have smashed the best, best Brad Tavares. He would have shot a hole through that bulletproof takedown defense, no question. Yeah. He would have pressured him. He would have hit him with a bunch of hard punches. He would have put him in the clinch and probably like uh, probably like lateral dropped him. Like Weidman used to do yeah. all kinds of crazy clinch takedowns. Yeah. Uh, but he, yeah, he's not that guy anymore. It's hard so, for me to say who Chris Whiteman is anymore. Yeah, honestly, that's I'm it's you know, I just gotta pick Brad Tavares on the basics of like if he doesn't get killed, he'll probably be able to have more consistent he's much less likely to get hit with something and just not want to fight anymore. Sure. Whereas I have this the the sinking suspicion that Chris Weidman is he is probably 
closer to Luke Rockhold territory than I would have you would have ever thought possible. Yeah. Or I would have ever thought possible. Where there is just a very good likelihood that he'll get hit with something and be like, Oh no, 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 no. I can't do this. Yeah. All I'll you say know. is that all the guys who've beaten Chris Weidman actually um, good. Yeah, and with the exception of um, Uriah Hall, are guys who do actively break their opponents. Yeah, no, it's true. Like, these were guys who tortured him, and the Uriah Hall fight is essentially a fluke. Yeah. Um, I don't know what effect that horrifying fluke, it, replete with its ter- it's just terrible dramatic irony, will have on Chris Weidman coming into this. But his yeah. last win was against Omari Akhmedov, who another is guy, a very Brad Tavares level opponent. Exactly. Another guy who, for a slightly different reasons, but who absolutely will just let an opponent hang around and keep fighting him. Yep. And Wyman didn't look good. But, but he, he was, got it done. Exactly. And I, no, I, he, I, I yeah. that's why I'm picking Chris here. I, I, I absolutely, I just have that feeling that we're in like, oh yeah, yeah. Like I say, we're in like Luke Rockhold shin injury territory. Yeah, we're you we know are, we are well deep into the land of mist. No question. You just or yeah, or Josh Koscheck eye injury territory. It's just at that that point where I'm like, yeah, how much do I trust that one thing goes wrong in this fight, and I don't, and I don't just immediately see it on on your countenance at all times. Yeah, I don't yeah. see you absolutely fixating on. Yeah. Not getting hurt the way you got hurt. Before. Basically, you're picking Chris Weidman to lose more than you're picking Brad Tavares to win. Yes. Yeah. And I'm picking I'm picking Chris Weidman to win because I don't trust Brad Tavares to win. <laughs> That's oh, basically yeah. it. That's it. Weidman is the underdog here. Opened at plus 201, currently plus 223. Brad Tavares opened at minus 270, currently minus 258. That's too wide. Brad Tavares doesn't. Yeah. No, last. Although at the same time, I get it because again, yeah. the tragedy of this is just how far Chris Weidman has fallen. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a middleweight bout: Gregory Rodriguez, Dennis Tiululin. 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 <laughs> Somehow, not a Swedish chef, Dennis Tiululin. Tiululin. <laughs> That's got to be a Finnish name. That's what Finnish sounds like. It, it it has to be. The Russians, they were in Finland for a while. Of course. Of course. There yeah. must be a lot of Finns in Russia. Yeah. And people speaking Finnic languages. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's a fun fact for you, Zane. What's that? Finno-Ugric is a language family. All of those languages are in Northern Europe and Siberia, except one, which is far away from all the others. What is it? I don't know. Hungarian. Oh, okay. A language isolate because the people who brought it to Hungary came from Siberia. They were like steppe nomads like the Mongols. There you go. There's your language fact for the day. That that does explain something. That is mildly interesting. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I aim for. That's whatever you were talking about for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's my wife's favorite. That is my wife's favorite thing whenever I'm Whenever, yeah. like, I, I try to explain something to her that she doesn't care about. Yeah, I'm not going to tell my girlfriend about that. <laughs> that sure is the thing you were saying just then. Yeah, wow. You really you really <laughs> talked about that. 
<laughs> Good for you. That hurts. That hurts me vicariously. Yeah. I feel for you. Yeah, it's it's the Ralph <laughs> Wiggums <laughs> heartbreak. Anyway, Hobo anyway, Cop to Lulin. This uh, man, Hobo Cop is such he he doesn't have to fight this way. No, but he likes it. But he likes it a lot. Yeah. Like Bruno Ferreira here, Ferreira uh-huh. here. Uh-huh. He absolute like the very next fight after getting a like an awesome KO over yep. Hobo Cop. Just got cooked. Just got totally exposed by <laughs> Nurselton Ruzibaev. Uh-huh. Who's just like, oh, you're going to throw one lazy kick at me with no setup? What if I slam you on your head harder than you ever thought possible? Yeah. And just murder you right there for doing something so lazy and unappreciative of the danger you put yourself in. It could have happened in the Hobocop fight, too. It, the thing with him is that. Have. He has a style which just opens the door and invites luck yes. to come in and put its feet up. It is such a risky style that, like, in a lot of these fights, there is no definitive, as we as, like, analysts would like, no definitive explaining of, like, why this happened. It doesn't yeah. all, not everything has, like, a narrative beyond just this dude has fights where anything can happen. Yeah. I mean, he loves to walk people down. Yeah. He loves to enter with straight shots. He will always keep his head straight online and his feet planted because he wants to hit with power. He can slip when he sees something coming back at him or when he has got a preset combination that he's going to throw that includes a roll or something like that. And if he slips, he's coming back with something, too. Yeah. That's how and, he views defense. Yeah. But his game is entirely geared towards the idea that he wants to cause as much damage as possible. And to do that, he needs to be he needs to be thinking damage. He needs to have his eyes firmly on his opponent. And he yeah. needs to have his feet planted firmly in place. Yeah. And it it's it it stands out that he that is just who he is psychologically because there are there are many elements in uh, Gregory's game that suggest he could probably control people in every phase if he wanted to because yeah. he great has athlete. a good jab yeah great jab yeah, great jab he's got good footwork um, he obviously does have some defensive acumen yeah and he's a great takedown artist yeah great he just great. doesn't care about controlling people yeah. And Dennis Tealulin is—he's <laughs> just a buzzsaw, and that's the only way he knows how to fight. Yeah. It's—it is—it is different from Rodriguez because Rodriguez is gearing all of his game towards hurting you, yeah, and towards opportunistic be, being an opportunist and walking you down and taking advantage of, oh, did you take a step back or did you circle into my power hand? I am going to hit you really hard. I have put myself in position to make sure I hit you really hard. Yeah. T. Lulin is be- being fired out of a slingshot at you. And he is just, you know, the kicks and the punches are all happening and he is putting out 
the the circle the 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 Bart Simpson circles of offense as he is fired at you with the idea that he will just be an unstoppable violence machine. That's what he wants. He doesn't care about the opportunities. He doesn't care about the what offense is coming back at him. He doesn't care about any potential for defense. It's just, I need to be on the front foot. I need to be creating offense. I think of that more as the episode of Futurama when Fry thinks he's been yeah. turned into a killbot. Yeah, he's <laughs> killbot. <laughs> Don't put a knife in Dennis Tulu's hand. No. Yeah. Um. And the thing is, is that like, man, that can like Gregory Rodriguez can blow that game up, no question. Like, oh yeah, Junyon Park did. Junyon Park was just like, oh yeah, okay, you're gonna come at me recklessly, no matter what. I will just out wrestle you. Yeah, it's right there. That's all I have to do. I will out wrestle you and then out grapple you, and that's it. And Tulu can do that. Or, I mean, Rodriguez can do that. Rodriguez beat Park. Yeah, he beat and Park. I, I'm not just relying on MMA math here, but, like, that's a good win. This guy is it's capable of getting great wins. Yeah. He will also absolutely let Tiu Lulin have the kind of fight that Tiu Lulin can win. Because yeah, one thing you got to look at, that 11-7 and seven record that Dennis Tiu Lulin has is not pretty. Yeah. But it, he lost once two strikes in 2013 yeah and has two split decision losses got finished by strikes once you mean yeah yeah he's been outstruck but he's had two split decision losses since everything else has had to be people taking him down and submitting him and i would be willing to bet that those two split decision losses yeah are people out wrestling him while getting outstruck probably that probably he is he is very relentless and 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 yeah Gregor Rodriguez again capable of getting good wins like very good wins, but he okay. lost to Jordan Williams on the Contender yeah. Series, who is a bad fighter. Yeah, he is a much messier, more wide open, less clean, much rougher combination puncher than Tiululin by far. Yeah. And he just got Rodriguez into a bad spot and just cracked him on the chin. Yeah. I I really want to take Rodriguez here because it should be so. I'm just going to take Tia Lulin, though. Yeah. He's, I think that makes he's sense. He's a worse for, fighter, but... For durability. If, if really. you're going to lose to Bruno Ferreira, yeah. Ferreira then Tia Lulin can, he can do that, you know? Yeah, it's, it is just the durability. Yeah. More than anything, because as, as long as the fight just keeps going, Rodriguez is going to slow down at some point. He recovers pretty well when that yeah. happens. He'll find a second wind, but um, even when he hasn't slowed down yet, he is going to get hit trying to extend exchanges. Um, and if Chilulin just doesn't go away and he can't stop him with strikes, yeah, then I mean it is possible Rodriguez submits him. Yeah, no, it, 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 that's what he should. It, it could be, and it could very easily be that T. Lulin's ag- own aggression, re- relentless oh, yeah. aggressive pressure, throws himself into a takedown that Rodriguez can't help but get. I mean, 
I'll say this right now. Rodriguez is going to hit at least one takedown, and it's going to yeah. be beautiful and fast, and Tulin isn't going to know what hit him. But the problem with Rodriguez's ground game is that it is just as anti-control yeah. as his striking. So, like, Junyoung Park gets you down. Welcome to the torture chamber. Yeah. He is going to be slow cooking you and increasing the pressure slowly until you give him the position from which he can finish you. And if you never give that position, he's going to smash you with his elbows. Yep. Mary Rodriguez is going to stunt on you with the coolest scramble transitional submission attack you've ever seen. And if it doesn't work, then welcome back to the feet. <laughs> We're going to war again. Yeah. That's his style. That's why I love him. He's awesome. Oh, yeah. It is. It's it's super fun. But I think I'm also going to pick Tialulin over him because I don't think he's going to knock him out. And I think he's basically got to get very fortunate to just catch him lock him down with the first submission attempt he attacks him with because otherwise it's going to be a scramble whether Tia Lulin wants it or not and he's going to get back to his feet and yeah. if he just gets a chance to keep coming at Rodriguez slinging bombs he, he's pro he'll probably hit him eventually yeah uh, odds on the fight Rodriguez is a big favorite opened at minus 370 is currently minus 339 T Lulin opened at plus 271 is currently at plus 284 I'm sorry but Rodriguez at this point I know he can get great wins but you can't look at that fight with Bruno Fajera and be yeah. like oh you know this guy can be a plus he can be a minus 300 favorite over anybody there are, some guys, there are some guys I'd give him those odds against, but it's not a big, tough puncher. Yeah. Definitely it, not. It, it it would be a one-dimensional, like, wrestle grappler or something. Exactly, yeah. That needs to hold him down. So, yeah. Yeah, if I had seen Tulin get knocked out, like, he... Make no mistake, Rodriguez could be the first guy to knock him out. Could, absolutely. He he's is a hard big enough. puncher, and he's accurate, and he puts his punches together beautifully. Yeah. Like when he's on, he's like Joe Lewis out there. Mm -hmm. Great left hook, great straight right hand. He's got a jab to set these things up, throws great uppercuts. Like he's a beast with his uh, combination punching. But um, yeah, like, I mean, had Julian Marquez been knocked out before Rodriguez did it to him? Uh, let's see. Julian Marquez. That was his first knockout. That was his first knockout loss. So again, there there are guys that trade on their durability. Yeah, Rodriguez can hand them their ass. Yeah, true. no question. But um, I, yeah, just just the, the fact that I haven't seen it, uh, and knowing having seen plenty of examples of T. Lulin being, I think more consistently aggressive and relentless than yeah, Marquez. He's not, he's not a head case, T. Lulin. He no. is just single minded. He has he one is a kind of work, fight he wants to have. Workman-like swarmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to pick him, too. Yeah, that he, makes sense to me. He's got some very, like, Carlos Condit going on in his mentality, you know? Sure, yeah. It's just launching himself at you, and if you take him down, okay, that's part of the process, but he's just going to be throwing yeah. everything at you. Should be an amazing fight. Should be great, yeah. Should be a fantastic fight. All right, that brings us to our tough finale fights. A lightweight battle. Austin Hubbard versus... Oh, where are we? Yeah. yeah Kurt uh, Hollibaugh. Austin mm -hmm. Hubbard versus Kurt Hollibaugh. 
two guys, one guy we've both really liked and enjoyed before, and another guy that we have tolerated <laughs> on several <laughs> occasions. Yep. Kurt Hallibaugh is one of our boys. Mm-hmm. He, um, this is now his, I mean, he just, Kurt Hallibaugh has this thing like, uh, who else is like this? Who else like gets to the UFC or gets to the big meaningful fight? And that's where they can't pull it off. I mean, it used to be Julian Arosa. Arosa was definitely one of those guys. There are like extreme examples like, um, oh God, I used to have this name in the back of my mind. I, I, I answered a trivia question as the guy who's had the most UFC losses. I can't remember now. He like got, he had like eight UFC debuts and just lost them all. He kept bringing them back. Um, not um, Cantwell. Or... No, not, not Cantwell. Something with an H. Last name with an H. James or John, something with an H. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, that is a little bit of the thing with Holobaw, I think. Yeah, he is a, he is a quadruple A fighter, no yeah. question. I mean, and he... Maybe accepting Brad Katona, yeah. all of the fighters that made it through this season of tough are quadruple A fighters. It is really funny that they are all the veterans. Yeah, I mean, well, but the thing is, is it like they were put they were put in a triple A system of yeah. the ultimate fighter, and they proved why they're all quadruple A fighters. Like the idea of being, you know, quadruple A. There is no quadruple A. Is that like you're too good for the regionals? Yeah, but you're not good enough for the show. Can I say? I'd much rather have all these guys just on a UFC contract filling out these godforsaken Apex cards yeah. than doing a season of Tough that, despite having McGregor on it, I don't think anybody watched anyway. No, nobody watched it. It sucked. They, they should have just been... Have a bunch of quadruple A guys in the UFC instead of these scrubs you keep signing for short-notice yeah. fill-ins and put them on the Apex cards. It's what they're for. Oh, my thing would just be like, you know... Tough is dead anyway. Nobody needs it. Obviously. But, it's been dead for years. Yeah. But it, for me, it's just, it, or at the very least, put these guys into the Contender Series and... Have these be your stable of gatekeepers. Right? And, and actually put them, well, like, you put them on the Contender Series to prove, you know, give them that opportunity to prove that they should be back there, that they're, they've reached a high level and whatever. And then the the reward be a like you know these are the kind of guys they have to fight each other on the contender series and the reward be like oh if you if you win you get like a top fifteen fight in the UFC you get a chance to actually prove I am actually a really elite fighter right now at this point in my career give me a chance to make a run sure whereas you know just just putting them on tough and then just having them smash all of these untested fighters obviously yes. is so funny and so it pointless is so pointless <laughs> so completely pointless but masterstroke giving mcgregor the team of all the guys he, you know the the funny thing is is i thought like oh they gave him all the prospects and that isn't that stupid he chose that, all the prospects yeah they they had a thing where like at the beginning, it was like you can choose the matchups of your team or something. Like you can pick which fights happen oh. or you can choose which team you have. Choose the team and choose the guys who are good, obviously. And he chose he chose the team and he chose all the rookies. 
Oh my goodness. And he did it twice. He had the option both times to choose the veteran team. And he wanted all the rookies. He wanted, I think he wanted it to be like his, like prove the quality of my coaching kind of thing. Well, he didn't from what I've heard again, did not watch. He seemed to be completely uninvolved in the coaching. Yeah, no, he, he just relied on SBG Mm -hmm. Ireland which showing the quality of, of that gym for developing fighters definitively. Yeah, definitely the main reason behind Conor McGregor's success. Nobody learns anything on tough too. It has to be said. You're yeah. not going to coach anybody in a month. Yeah. Anyway, I think, I think that's why a guy like Kurt Holloball shines on a show yeah. like that. Right. Cause, um, and perhaps that is tied to the reason that he seems to lose each time he gets a step up to the big show. Yeah. Like he is much less dependent on specific preparation yep. than a lot of other fighters are. He's just solidly good. Uh, and then it's not always particularly easy to say why he just loses, but it's like. Well, uh, he, he's he's a very. We were just talking about Tealulin. Like Kurt mm-hmm. Hollowa is just lightweight Dennis Tealulin. He's better than that a little bit, right? Well, yeah, because he's a lightweight. The okay, light, yeah. lightweight version of a middleweight is always going to be better. That's true. That's true. He's but, got technique. I mean, the body shot he finished that Jason Knight fight with was awesome. He's got yeah. a good jab that has been a staple of his game forever. But yeah, he is a guy who can't not fight. He is a buzzsaw running at you. Yeah. And you either know how to redirect that aggression in a way that he can't stop himself from running into, you know, yeah. he will run himself into a takedown every single time that you present one, or, you know, you could sidestep him and counter him every single time. And he will just run right into it because he is a bull running at you. That is yeah. Kurt Hollabaugh. And it works great against untutored regional level fighters. They're not ready for that. Yeah, not ready for somebody who is ultra violent and will just sit in front of them and hit them super hard. So that is the Kurt Holabaugh success story. And but there's still there's always this this feeling of pervasive weirdness in the yeah. in the big losses. Like that fight with Shane Burgos really stands out. Yeah, it's like what did he do wrong? He just got caught in a submission the moment he thought he was about to win. Like just instantly, everything went and went to shit for him. Yeah. That's just a strange like pattern behind Kurt Holabaugh's steps up. Um, anyway, yeah, there there is sort of the feeling that maybe Austin Hubbard could uh, a sparring partner type fighter could give a long and drawn out, uncomfortable fight to Holabaugh. Yeah, he's not particularly easy to just run over. He no. banks on his jab and his kicking game. He's uh, quite durable. How many times has Hubbard been stopped with strikes, if ever? Never. Never. He has had fights where he's gotten his ass beat the whole time for three yeah. rounds, but yeah. he's never been stopped by strikes. Yeah. So, so very durable, not easy to cow. Really relies on some super meat and potatoes fundamentals. He he is a momentum fighter that builds like the way you know we were talking about uh, Hakeem Dawadu. Yeah. It's like he built if Hakeem Dawadu could fight like Austin Hubbard or if Austin Hubbard had an ounce of Hakeem Dawadu's athleticism, right. both of them would be much better fighters. Mm-hmm. Hubbard really like you could see in that Rosh Cup fight he had where he just had somebody who had 
a lot less fortitude mentally than him. Yeah. Hubbard really will like build and, you know, if you give him the momentum and if you see the fight to him, he will build momentum. He will, he will absolutely start running you over, but it's, you know, it's a not very fast, not very powerful, not very athletic guy having starting with slow fundamentals, trying to catch up to you. Yeah. Any fight against somebody who is a good athlete, they're just like, I will just never let you build anything, Mm -hmm. you know? And Hollowball is definitely going to bring the pressure to him quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, there, there is this, I do have this, this niggling feeling that, uh, that Hollowball, who most of his losses aside from the Burgess one are late stoppages or decisions. Mm hmm. But just the longer the fight goes on, the more you see sort of the the paucity of like ideas he has, um, and you start to pick up on his patterns and his predictable timing, and you just get a lot more chances to hit him and evade what's coming back. Um, is it enough to pick Hubbard? Yeah, I don't know. I think personally, I'm going to pick Holabaugh here. Yeah. And it's just that thing with Hubbard where when somebody can bring violence to him, he is a victim. <laughs> like <laughs> that fight he had with uh oh, who was it? Oh, it was a different guy I was thinking of, actually, who also fights like Austin Hubbard. But, <laughs> but yeah, like... The, Truly a remarkable fighter, Austin Hubbard. <laughs> no, he just... Yeah, like his fights with Davi Hamosh and... Vince Pichel just Vince bull- Pichel. bullying him. Yeah, well, that's the thing, though, is that everybody that's beat him could out-wrestle him. Yeah. Although Eric Wisely is not any kind of wrestler. No. All about Will wrestle, but he... Yeah, but he's not great at it. No. This is my thing, right? Like, it, yeah. all about just seems like the better, more dangerous fighter, but if you're not going to stop Hubbard, you just let him hang around, and it's mostly on the feet. He's a good third-round striker. By the, by the time he yeah. gets there, he's, 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 pretty, he's pretty smooth and, and relatively high output and accurate. Yeah. Tough, right? It's yeah. Tough. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna. I'll pick Hubbard. I don't like it. I, I don't, don't particularly like want to pick Hubbard, but I, he that is, is no my kind instinct. of finisher at any level. Yeah. And Hollabaugh is ultra violent. He, you know, you take him one notch below UFC level, and Hollabaugh is an ultra violent finisher. Absolutely, and usually very quickly. Yeah, but not always. I mean, there's also no. he just if he gets an advantage that he can sit on, he has some one sided beatdowns that go into the third, even fourth round. This fight with Jay Z Cavalcante. Yeah, and so there's a level of violence there that just makes you want to pick Hollabaugh automatically because I know Hubbard can't match that violence. Yep, but Hollabaugh doesn't really lose by getting finished. Usually, people just no. they just hang around and figure him out him off his game because it's so predictable. And then again, many of those people out wrestle him or pressure him. Yeah. Which Hubbard isn't going to do either. No. 
It's it's a it's a real toss up. I like it as a matchup. Again, yeah, I, I do too. I you know what I mean? Have to I'm go through go the back. whole. I'm gonna stop my waffle. I'm gonna pick. Keep stick with my hollow pick. I think he's too violent. Cool. I make and sense. And Hubbard doesn't have the violence to stick with it. That makes to, sense to make to me. impact. I'm gonna take Hubbard because I have a feeling, and and I I can definitely see the fight that he wins, and yeah. all of it just reinforces the idea that they shouldn't have done tough. This fight should have happened two years ago in the Apex. Sure. Yeah. Why not have these fights in the UFC? Because I'm excited for this fight, yeah. as I am for the other tough final. They're both good fights. Oliva opened at plus 153. He's jumped up and down a little, but he's pretty much still right there. Hubbard opened at minus 172 and is still at minus 172. All right, that brings us to a Bantamweight bout. Brad Katona, Cody Gibson, and kind of a really similar matchup, honestly, in mm-hmm. that Cody Gibson is ultra violent mm-hmm. as a quadruple a talent he has learned absolutely well he was always relentless it was just he seems apparently he seems like a pretty cool dude yeah he follows me on twitter he's always i've always had pleasant interactions with yeah, him I, i've seen him interacting with people around on social media stuff i feel bad for him because like by far the thing that he's most famous for is being seeming like a completely aggro weirdo Mm -hmm. in the UFC and then having that bar fight where he said, Google me, bitch. (laughs) And then got like, not, not beat up, but he did not at all win this bar fight with some random bro. (laughs) I feel like he would have won the fight until the point he decided to say, Google me, bitch. Yeah. That is just fate intervening to be like, you have already embarrassed yourself. Now it's time to just seal it. Yeah. <laughs> I it's love one that, of though. the most <laughs> embarrassing things that has ever happened to a UFC fighter. <laughs> it's also, it's, it's way too badass. That's why it's embarrassing, but I still <laughs> love it for that. What a thing to say. I had not heard about that. No, no, <laughs> that's hysterical. He had a bar fight and it was like, some guy was like, drunk and like you know he was like you don't know who i am because he was in the ufc at this point and either it was either google me bro or google me bitch i can't remember which one i hope it was bitch and then the guy just like he tried to then he tried to take the guy down in a bar fight and like couldn't get the takedown and got like punched and sprawled on when was this? I want to know. I want to have some explanation as to why Cody was acting out like that. Was this like right after fighting Douglas De Silva or something? This, this was like the John, right around like Johnny Bedford Algerman. This was like right after he got signed in like the early, like the first year of his. Okay. So either he had just lost one and was frustrated, or he was yeah. really feeling himself after that Johnny Bedford fight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he, he is a nice guy in my experiences with him. That that uh, you know, I, I I think Chris Curtis is a nice guy too. But no one would deny that Chris Curtis isn't a psycho with a temper. Yeah, it was right? October of 2014, so it was right after losing to Manny Gamburian. There you go. He was he was pissed, man. Yeah. Let's see if I I can actually. That was it. at the end of September. That fight. Yeah. E, let's see. 
he was drinking away his sorrows. Some guy tested him. <laughs> he did an interview shortly afterward, though. He said he started saying, I'm not in the UFC or you're full of crap. And that's when I told him to Google me. I feel like an asshole now. Like, oh, my God, why did I say that? <laughs> He's <laughs> a cool guy. Off to the side because I didn't think anything was going to happen. And he's just standing there kind of talking crap to me. And he punched me right in the face pretty hard. <laughs> you know. He's a cool guy. Like his reaction to that. Why did it I say that? Google me, bitch. It was Google me, bitch. <laughs> That's so cool <laughs> and so lame. Just amazingly, yeah. What a guy. Anyway, that is Cody Gibson's claim to fame. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the, you know, if this is the Hollabaugh Hubbard dynamic over again. Gibson is not the athlete that Kurt Hollibaugh is. No. He does not have that power. He does not have that smoothness with his stand-up. He's yeah. much more in the Billy Quarantillo mold of, I am going to just scramble with you and drown you in aggression until you break and I can start pouring it on. Yeah. And Brad Katona is much more athletic than Austin Hubbard. True. For a guy who couldn't finish a ham sandwich, yeah. Brad Katona does have the baseline speed and strength of a top 10, top 15 UFC fighter. But he does not have that dog in him. He does not. And he chained himself to SBG Ireland long term yep. years ago, which is much like becoming a sick jitsu fighter. It is just the damnation of game stagnation. Yeah. You are you are absolutely guaranteeing yourself you are not going to get any better if you make your career about being an SBG Ireland fighter. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I got to pick Brad Katona. Um, the people that beat him had clear technical wrestling advantages over him. One of them was Marabdvalishvili. Like, yeah. And the other was Hunter Azure, who who is you know, limited but a great athlete. Yeah, limited but a great athlete and a, a very good wrestler. And that's it. Nobody else has beat him. Cody Gibson has lost all kinds of fights to all kinds of people. He's lost exactly the fight he wants to have. He can get, you know, last time he fought a really good athlete, it was Ray Borg. And Ray Borg... Just beat him up on the feet and out-wrestled him. Of course, he yeah. also fought John Dodson and beat John Dodson, but, you know, Dodson is also at a pretty washed point in his career as an MMA fighter. Yeah. So, I I just have to pick Brad Katona here. Yeah, I think I agree. I would love to pick Cody Gibson. Oh yeah, I do. I, I like him more. He's, you know, he he is the ideal quadruple A fighter, and that what really holds him back is physicality. Yep, because he has a super aggressive finisher's mindset. Yep. Um, and Katona very clearly does not. They're just so on the opposite sides of the physical spectrum that Katona is a great athlete who just does not is not like a fighter at heart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he is out there trying to be like a technician. He's trying to be a craftsman. He does not have the thirst for blood that Cody Gibson does. No. Um, 
But given that so much of Cody Gibson's success is beating people up on the ground, submitting them, um, yeah. you know, tiring them out in scrambles and beating them up in the clinch, these are areas where physicality is going to be really important. Yep. And the fact that Brad Katona is a strong grappler and a strong person seems like just a, a bulwark against Cody Gibson's whole style. Yep. So, yeah, um, I think, unfortunately, I have to take Katona as well. Yeah, where Hollabaugh Hubbard is really that mix of, like, two guys that aren't that standout but have very contrasting styles. Right. This is two guys where one of them is just a very good athlete and the other one isn't. And they also have contrasting styles. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Katona is the favorite open at minus 155, currently out at minus 220. Gibson opened at plus 135, currently plus 185. But like if Hubbard was a better athlete than Hollowball, you'd pick Hubbard pretty confidently. Oh, yeah. Every time. Given how his style works, if he just had that little edge, yep. you'd be like, okay, it's, he's he's going to win definitively even if it takes a minute to get going. Yep. That's, that, that is so often just what separates the... Uh, the the lower tier fighters from the elite, and no one's yep. calling Brad Katona an elite fighter, but he is an elite athlete. Yep. All right, that brings us to a middleweight bout: Andre Petrovsky, Gerald Mearshart. It's a pretty cool fight. It's a pretty good. It's a pretty cool fight. It it would have been better if they would booked it for Mearshart or booked it for Petrovsky off a win for Mearshart. They booked it yeah. off that Joe, that Bruno Silva fight, not the Joe Pfeiffer murdering. Yeah. But, it, you know, it, this has some fun to it. Petrovsky has wanted this fight for a while. He thinks that it would prove him, help him prove that he's the best grappler in the middleweight division. Um, I don't really know that it will do that, but... It's uh, it's he's going to try to grapple. I mean, I'm excited yeah. about that. I, I, yeah. I, I think it, it, even better knowing that that is apparently the statement he wants to make here. Yeah. But uh, I, I have been quietly impressed with Andre Petrovsky. He, he didn't look like much to me when he got to the UFC, to be honest. He looked stiff and yeah. slow. He looked uncomfortable on the feet. And he had a grappling game that looked to my eye somewhat outdated. He looked to me like your classic powerhouse wrestler yeah. who has no sense of how to fight in any other right. area at all. And, has and the no body also, control as a striker, has, yeah. no, has no real mind for like uh, great you know, submission hunting. His early submissions were like a Kimura and an arm bar. You know, it didn't really seem like he had a great mind for control positions, that kind of thing. Just very much like, oh, I'm I'm a wrestler trying to learn all the other yeah. MMA stuff. And he would gas because he was tense. And he would the whole gas. Time. Yeah. Yeah. What what we've learned is that the gassing is not a death sentence for Petrovsky. Nope. That he can be tired and his game still functions pretty well. Um, and that he can catch a second wind given time. And uh, I just think he is a, uh, he's just a better top position grappler. Yeah. Than I thought he was before. I don't know if that's an improvement or 
uh, level of competition has sort of made him more deliberate with his choices on the ground. But um, he's a pretty suffocating grappler when he gets into those positions. And yet, if Gerald Mearshart isn't on the ground, where I, I do expect he'll be dangerous, of course, but I just don't, I'm never going to pick somebody to beat a fellow quality grappler from guard. Yeah, Mearshart will give up the dominant position. And Absolutely. Start. And that's yeah. a win for Petrovsky, pretty much without much thinking on my part. That's how I see that. Um. Petrovsky is definitely still awkward enough as a striker that like Mearshart could definitely outbox him. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Petrovsky is super one and done. He's very stiff. Uh, his setups are like extremely obvious and every strike yep. he actually intends to land completely destroys his positioning. Yep. Um, and Mearshart isn't a perfect positional striker either. His no. defense is all like leaning back. His footwork is slow and awkward. But there's a lot more of uh, right idea, wrong execution to Mearshart's game than there is Petrovsky's. There's a lot of comfort to Mearshart's game at this point. Yeah. He, he knows how to survive on the feet. Yeah, he has the feel for striking that Petrovsky yeah. definitely does not have. Yeah. But given that uh, Mearshart is going to get pressure to the fence, and I do expect Petrovsky to try to take him down doggedly, I yeah. am going to pick Petrovsky. Yeah, me too. I mean, Mearshart's foot slow. And he will give up takedowns pretty easily just because it's, you know, he's foot slow. He gets caught. Even if you were making the right moves to defend takedowns, he, he gets caught out by yeah. the speed yeah. way too easily. You know, by the time he's reacting, it's already happened. Yep. And yeah, against determined opponents who have a, a good mind for how to attack him. No matter what attack they bring to Mearshart, that's always been a huge problem for him. You come to him with a with a specific line of attack and a specific game, and he will off he will give up the first move. I mean, even in fights that he's won in yeah. the past, like Mahmoud Muradov <clears throat> and uh, Trevin Giles <clears throat> and Oscar Pichota, these are all fights that Mirshard started out losing pretty decisively before battling his way back into them yep and as he gets older that's going to get hard, harder and harder to have that that comeback so i'm going to take petrovsky as well mirshard is the underdog here opened at plus 232 currently down at plus 196 petrovsky opened at minus 270 currently minus 238 that brings us to a woman's flyweight bout, Andrea Lee, Natalia Silva. And this is a really hard fight to call, honestly, to me. Yeah. Natalia Silva, she is clearly an elite athlete. I love her. She, she is a killer, man. Yeah, she is a killer. Her game is still very yeah. undercooked. You know, she's she's at that point where uh oh what's her name? She's at that point where Vivi Araujo was when Araujo first got to the UFC. 
Yes. Well, I think she has a better feel for distance than Araujo did. That may be. She really it's... commits and puts her shots together. Like she, she knows where the target is, and she is yeah. aiming at it with no hesitation. She she also has a little bit less of a mind for defense Absolutely. than Araujo. Yeah, she's a buzzsaw. Stock straight, head straight up in the air, yeah. just trying to lean back, there to be cracked. And so, yeah, it's, it's a really fun athletic punching puncher's game, but with a lot of flaws and limits. Yeah. And Andrea Lee, the results still aren't coming in all that consistently, but she has been getting better ever since she left her weird Nazi husband. Mm hmm. And started training at a, a real camp and not, you know, some we, weird white supremacist karate school in a swamp. Uh, she has gotten more determined and technical in her game, I think. But it's still not, you know, there's a lot of bad habits in there. Yeah. That she has to try to work around. And she's still not a fast athlete. Yeah. And this is going to be the thing that holds her back forever. She is just quite slow. Yeah. But, like, she had a hammer and tongs tough fight with Macy Barber this year. Yeah. And Macy Barber then turned around and just, you know, blew by Amanda Hebush. Mm-hmm. Lee is getting, you know, she is being more dedicated to her wrestling game, which is always her offensive wrestling game has always been pretty strong. She's been being better about that. She has worked more on her hand speed in the pocket and in combination uh, striking, not just leaning on like, you know, a one two kick combination where her kicks or where where those strikes would all end up coming at like half speed it felt like she's trying and that makes this fight interesting because silva is like i said her game is still kind of undercooked very yeah. powerful <clears throat> but if she powerful and it's and this is more concerning i think for lee fast yeah. uh yeah powerful and fast because macy barber's powerful she's a truck yeah you know, she she hits super hard. She's very strong when you tie up with her. But speed is not the thing you really see first from Macy yeah. Barber. If she learned to take power off her shots and vastly improved her technique, she'd probably be be very fast. Yeah. But she isn't. She's out there trying to sling every ounce of her body weight into every shot and muscling people around in tie-ups. Vivi Araujo made Andrea Lee look stupid. Yeah. Because she's fast. Yeah, uh, the, and, I mean, the question here would really just be if if Lee can get her takedown game working. Yeah. Can she just out wrestle Natalia Silva? Yeah. Which she might. Maybe. I I will pick Natalia Silva just because Lee has struggled against so many hmm. better athletes in the past. And her loss and, and has lost to fighters she shouldn't lose to just through poor decision making yeah. as well and through her own lack of speed. But 
uh, you know, this is a real step up for Natalia Silva because you got to remember, too, that Natalia Silva has looked super fast against three incredibly slow. Absolutely. One she, she, she's obviously fast well, like, in, she a vac- in a vacuum, but absolutely. She has been feasting like, on just prepared food. Yeah. Teresa Bleda, Victoria Leonardo, Jasmine Jesudavicius. These are all foot slow, either in the case of Bleda, a fighter who has no striking and is just out there trying to wrestle. Yeah. Or in the cases of Leonardo and Jesudavicius, fighters who are just slow footed brawlers. Yeah. Jesudavicius is the best look because. Yeah. Um, for, for a matchup with Lee, because she's just to be serious, is good despite her yeah. physical limitations. Um, and is, you know, I arguably better than Lee in top position, if not yeah, quite as good than, as, than Lee in top position, not as clean a striker. In, in exactly. She, she's yeah. a significantly worse boxer. Yeah. Lee, Lee has, uh, even when it was a lot more awkward than it is now, and it's still somewhat awkward because she's slow, but yeah. she, she has always been, a pretty good technical boxer. Yeah. And uh, that, that is a saving grace for her, that she has like a pretty fundamentally sound striking game. Yep. So yeah, that, that's a question. Um, but man, did uh, did uh, Silva just cut through Jesuit Vicius? Like, yeah, I, I, I'm going to take, I'm going to take her as well. But the, the fact that, that they may be slow, but she's there to be hit and there are going to be smart, straight counters coming back at her. Yeah. Could put a little hitch in the momentum she tends to grab really early on. And I don't really know how she deals with. I assume she's quick enough to not just to be there for the takedowns. She has a really quick back step. Yeah. Um, to get back out of range. She's super light in her feet. But I really don't know um, how deep her defensive grappling game really is. Yeah. You know, again, she she has been stuffing takedowns and out scrambling people, but they have been either worse athletes than Lee who's slow, but strong. Uh, they have been worse physically or they have been just worse wrestlers and grapplers. All of them have been in fact. Yeah. Cause, cause Lee's wrestling game is a real strength. So, but I'm going to take Silva. I, I think she's, she is, uh, she looks like the top kind of top end athlete that Lee loses to. That's exactly. really what it is. She just looks like a beast. And, um, yeah, and unlike somebody like Amanda Lamos, her game is much more suited to uh, just as dependent on her physicality, but she is a high-output combination-punching yeah. blitz fighter, too. So if you're any any sign of getting overwhelmed by her speed, things tend to go badly really quickly. Yep. She Lee piles up. has bounced up and down a little, but opened at plus 279. Is currently still at plus 279. Silva opened at minus 347 and is currently at minus 349. I, th- I think it could be closer than that. Yeah, I think it could be a lot closer than that. You can you know say what you will about Andrea Lee. Uh, she has never been stopped. She got yeah. rear naked choked once by Sarah Delalelio in 2016. Yeah. She's otherwise, she's never been knocked out. And that was her only stoppage loss of her career. I and that was think a she's... product of really relentless pressure on the ground. Like that was a tough, yeah. grimy fight. And I do think she's been getting Lee, you know, she may be riding two losses, but I think she's been getting a lot better. And Natalia Silva has actually lost a lot of fights. Yeah. You know, 
She she was she started super young. She's only 26 now, and she's already been fighting for eight years. So, you know, hasn't she, lost in a while. Yeah, she hasn't lost in a while, and but there's you know, it's not like she can't ever. She it's not like she could never be beat. And no, of course if, not. And her game, like I said, it still looks like a raw young person's game in a lot of ways. Yeah. If Lee can just take a hard fight to her this and not get stopped, this could be a very back and forth contest. Mm-hmm. I would not at all be surprised to have, for Silva to win to lose one round on just getting out grappled and out, uh, yeah, I think even wrestling. more than back and forth. I mean, in that sense, yeah, but I think yeah. it looks more like a this is a fight where maybe one person's winning or the other person's winning. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm, I'm interested to see what hiccups Lee's technical striking might pose. But I do expect, as in the case of like a much less high output natural combination puncher and Vivia Raujo, the speed is just going to – Lee can't keep yeah. up with it, I suspect. Yeah. But I think, yeah, if Lee gets her wrestling game going and her grab, there's every chance that she could end up dominating portions of this fight, if not the whole fight, yeah. if she makes that work consistently. All right, that brings us to a fly, a, another woman's flyaway bout: Karini Silva, Marina Moroz, and a re, this is a rematch. Actually, these two fought. Oh, is years, it? And years and years ago, uh, way back in 2014. And Karini got armbarred. Yep, and I watched it, and Silva, like, I think she caught a kick or something early. And put Moroz on her back and then just jumped in her guard over and over and over again <laughs> until Moroz armbarred her. Wow. Yeah. Jessica Andrade, uh, uh, who was that? That Andrade did that against a women's bantamweight. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, was the, it was the old one. Yeah. Oh, the gym teacher. Yeah. I can't believe I'm forgetting her name, but... It was uh, Marion Renault. That's right. Yeah, just yeah. just in, made Marion Renault triangle her. Yep. Uh, Jamal Hill, Paul Craig, another great yep. example yep. of that that approach. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was this me, me or you? I can't remember. It's me. Think, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. I. I mean. Uh, I. I think Karini Silva's pretty good. She's all right. Pretty, She's pretty good in an unremarkable kind of way. She's um, good in a way that I'm not at all sure will translate going forward. Is the thing that I see, like, yeah, dropping for a leg lock. Yeah, it's cool, but wasn't cool when it actually worked. It was disgusting. Yeah, okay, but like, you know, it, it, the moment that doesn't work, then who are you? You know, what what kind of decision making are you? Are you engaging in here? Yeah, and, and that is just a a more offensive, I, I think, um, version of the what you just described to me, which I haven't seen, but her earlier loss to Morose, just like making bad positional choices on the ground. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, Morose is actually a, a pretty damn venomous submission fighter. She doesn't it's- show it off all the time. She likes her boxing. She has literally never been submitted. Yeah, and she has a ton of submissions over good fighters. Yep. Uh, you know, she she um, 
famously armbarred Joanne Wood in one of her yeah. early, early UFC fights, a big upset. Um, I just, uh, I think Moroz's game is just much more complete. It is. Than Silva's. Silva is a reasonably competent striker. She's not like horribly slow, which helps. Yeah. Um, you know, she has some idea of how to move her feet around. She keeps her stance pretty well. Um, and, uh, and moves laterally. Like, uh, you know, she's, she doesn't look clueless at range, but the strike she chooses, she's super one and done. She's quite low output. Even in, even in fights where she isn't that low output, this is like the, the Hakeem Dawadu thing again. We're using him as a reference in all kinds of ways on this episode, but mm-hmm. we talked about how Dawadu feels low output, even though he really isn't. When Silva's striking, she might be putting out a steady diet of strikes, but not all of them are really very considered or set up by anything. So many of them don't land. And when she really fires to land, that's when she throws herself off balance because she she doesn't have the ability to set up her to 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 create positions from which she can throw good strikes that connect. Um and usually when she overcommits like that, she is looking for a takedown as well. And then you get into the question of she is a good submission finisher her herself, but a lot of sort of sacrificial instincts, sacrificial yeah. instincts on the ground. Dropping for guillotines, dropping for leg locks, um, you know, go, going allowing people to to sit in her guard and not really showing much urgency to get back to her feet. She's got heel hooks, arm bars. Um, she had that horrible. They're calling it a knee bar, knee bar, uh, yeah. or heel hook, or however you want to call it. Uh, you want to call it a. Uh, simply a leg reap submission as some yep. people did. But yeah, a lot of this is not, it's just not very strategic. Yeah. Right. Rose is much more concerned, even though she has plenty of guard submissions, she plays guard correctly. She's really mm-hmm. aggressive and she's not actually all that easy to get there. If she doesn't want to be there, Uh pretty strong clinch wrestler, pretty strong in general, I think underrated in that regard. And while she had that period where her boxing was just absolutely horrible to watch, she seemed to reinvigorate her striking game. I think it was that she like went back to her old Olympic boxing coach. Yeah. Um, in Poland. And uh, it made her a lot more dangerous and effective on the feet again. I'm definitely taking Moroz here. Yeah. The only thing with Moroz that always just bugs me is how much her game, especially her boxing game. Yeah falls apart whenever she takes a step up in competition for somebody who used to, who is like, she herself is like an Olympic bo- boxing coach. Yeah. And then you see her again out there against like Jennifer Maya. And it's just like, you're just getting like picked yeah. apart by like super duper rinse and repeat volume boxing. Exactly. A fight where like, it was pretty early on established what Maya was going to do. Yeah. She didn't really have to adjust anything. No. And I, I it just keeps happening. That kind of stuff just keeps happening with Moroz, where it's just like, yeah. why do you not have any answers for, like, really basic stuff against other good fighters at all? But, yeah, I don't think Karini Silva is that. And other than the fact that, every third or fourth fight or well three out actually three out of every four fights Moroz takes gets canceled 
Yeah. Uh, she really should have been, she should have had a much better career in the UFC than she did. But she has literally had like as many canceled fights in the UFC as she's ha- actually t- made it to the Oxyon. Yeah, and I think the vast majority of those are, is she very injury prone or are these like visa issues? I don't know. It's probably just a combination of everything. Most of them say Moreau's withdrew on topology. Yeah. There's a um, couple Moreau's injury, Moreau's broken foot. Yeah. Just everything. There's a, there's a couple the other way too, but yeah, she yeah. has withdrawn from a lot of her scheduled bouts. Yep. And yeah, earlier in her career, there are definitely a lot of them are injuries. Yep. So anyway, I got to take Rose here. She is the much more clinical fighter and she's never been finished. And Karini Silva seems like a fighter who's really always just banking on, I'm going to hurt you really badly at some point, And that'll be the difference. Right. So odds on the bout. Moreau's opened at plus 135. It's currently plus 128. Silva opened at minus 150, currently minus 142. I don't know. I don't get it. They fought before Moreau's won. Yeah. Losing to Jennifer Maya, like. Yeah, say what you will about her performance, but Maya's a good fighter. Yeah. Good athlete. Yeah. And we saw Moreau's against, like, crazy finisher Maria Agapova not that long ago. And Moreau's just. Crushed her, yeah, totally outclassed her. So she she beat Myra Buena Silva, and Myra Buena Silva just like humiliated Holly Holm. Yeah, you know these that Silva win has aged like fine wine for mm-hmm. Marina Moroz. So anyway, on that note, we're gonna go jump back for a little bonus content from a little extra bonus content from that Luque uh, Dos Anjos card. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.